Back in the early winter, as the pulpit dice was rolled, I received the nod to preach today when Psalm 82 is the selected text. Biblical scholars advocate that Psalm 82 may be the most theologically difficult psalm in the entire Bible. And they some say it's the most difficult passage to understand in the entire Bible. Now, before I go any further, I need to explain and share that during my two years in seminary, there were many occasions when the theology students would come up to me, slap me on the back, and as a music major, thank me for being in their survey of Old Testament or New Testament class. With a smile on their face, they would tell me, without the presence of music majors, there just wouldn't be much of a curve on the class grades. You know, after receiving a few of my graded papers back from the professor, I kind of understood exactly what they were talking about. Now, in defense of musicians, I need to point out that a musician wrote today's song. Asaph, he was a Levite and one of the three chief musicians of David's choir. There are 11 psalms attributed to Asaph. He's mentioned along with David as being skilled in music and as a seer, someone who could look into the future. He obviously had insights about the judicial system there in Israel, and he was speaking out about injustice in his time and encouraging his readers to be hopeful and to avoid similar paths. I'd like to invite you to watch and hear now the reading of Psalm 82, coming from a translation called The Voice. The true God stands to preside over the heavenly council. He pronounces judgment on the so-called gods. He asks, how long will you judge dishonestly and be partial to the wicked? Stand up for the poor and the orphan. Advocate for the rights of the afflicted and those in need. Deliver the poor and the needy. Rescue them from their evil oppressors. These bullies are ignorant. They have no understanding of my ways. So as they walk in darkness, the foundations of the earth tremble, tremble, tremble. I said, though you are gods and children of the Most High, you will die no differently than any mortal. You will fall like one of the princes. Rise up, rise up, rise up, O true God. Judge the rulers of the earth, for all the nations are yours. You know, this psalm provides an image of a heavenly scene where there's a heavenly council. God is excusing his heavenly messengers of not caring for the poor and pursuing justice. One of the first questions one might ask 
would be, who are these heavenly messengers? Now, that's one of the academic questions that still remains debated. And it's a question I'm not even going to touch. One thing is sure, that when this psalm is written, Israel had wicked judges who were being denounced by King David and by the prophets of God. Corruption was rampant. Judges were blind and indifferent to the ways of God. Years later, the prophet Amos repeatedly stated that these judges would sell the poor, quote, for a pair of shoes. Even Jesus founded one of his parables on the unjust judge. Asaph may be pointing a finger of condemnation towards these dishonest earthly judges, but he's also speaking a word of hopefulness for the ones being mistreated. In the absence of justice and mercy, there is despair. Despair thrives where there is no hope. All of us are looking for hope because despair is easy enough to find without looking for it at all. We encounter it everywhere. We wake up, turn on our morning news, and we hear about mass shootings. Nations that are grieving the loss of human life, the threat of terrorism, pandemic, or financial disasters. We receive a phone call that brings devastating, life-changing news. We go to the doctor where we receive a disappointing diagnosis. We go to work and wonder if our company or product is helping to make the world a better place. We return back home and there too, for many, the sense of despair is still felt. Relational struggles, addictions, loneliness, weariness, physical afflictions, and boredom are all on the list. Various shades of despair overshadow hope. Unfortunately, no matter who we are, stuff is going to happen. So if stuff can and will happen to each of us, it's crucial to have our hope well-grounded in a God who can overcome the bullies of discouragement and darkness that will come our way. Biblical hope has its faith in God. The English word for hope I think often conveys doubt. For instance, I sure hope it's not going to rain tomorrow. In addition, the word hope is often followed by the word so. I can't tell you how many times I've asked someone, do you think that when you die, you might go to heaven? And their reply is, I hope. So, that is not the meaning of the word usually translated hope in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for hope is batak, and it has the meaning of confidence, security, assurance, and being without care. And in that word, there is no room for the word doubt. 
And if one explores additional scripture about hope, which there is many, and you find Hebrews chapter 11, you discover biblical hope is a reality, not a feeling. It's a sure foundation upon which we base our lives. It's firm, confident belief that God always keeps his promises. Does hope make a difference in people's lives? Scientific research says it does. According to over 50 studies done over the last 20 years on hope, both children and adults who score higher in hope will exhibit 10 common characteristics. And I'd like to put these on the screen and let you look at them. Number one, people with high hope will cope better with injuries, disease, and physical pain. One study, hopeful people tolerated pain almost twice as long as people who were less hopeful. Number two, people with high hope are generally healthier and take better care of themselves. Number three, they show up for work and are considered 14% more productive. Number four, people with high hope are more engaged at work and school. Basically, they're more involved and enthusiastic. Number five, they are more creative at problem solving. They're able to churn out those big ideas. Number six, people with high hope score higher in satisfaction, self-esteem, optimism, meaning in life, and happiness. One researcher stated that hope is worth a 10% bump in happiness. Number seven, they perform better in sports of all kinds. Interesting, isn't it? Number eight, people with high hope achieve higher high school grade point averages. They have a higher graduation rate and college success. The studies show that hopeful students have an emotional connection with their school. They're more likely to show up for class. They're more active. They're more active in participating in the learning process. Again, according to research, hope is worth one letter grade in school with all other things being equal. Number nine, they are more flexible, adaptable, and resilient. And I like number 10. People with high hope experience increased longevity. Hopeful people live longer and live better. You know, people can survive without much food, water, shelter, clothing, transportation, and even a, affection. But without hope, many of us would probably already be in the grave. Hope is the essence of the Christian faith. But what if hope was unnecessary for our faith? I mean, what if we could just look up and there was heaven physically right there in front of us? What if we never had to persevere in faith or in prayer? What if everything you ever wanted just happened the way you planned? The Apostle Paul 
writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 24, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Without hope, we can never fully trust in God. Hope is grasping for what we can't see, but believing in our hearts that God is there answering prayers and working for our good. In December 1999, Tina and Jonathan Bailey were here at Oakmont. They were sharing about their work in Southeast Asia as CBF, Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, personnel, field personnel, or missionaries. For the last 21 years, since 1995, the Baileys have been serving as ministers, teachers, and encouragers on the island of Bali, Indonesia. They've been developing relationships through the common bond of art and music. Two weeks ago, when the 2016 CBF General Assembly was held in Greensboro, North Carolina, Tina spoke about another special connection that she had made, one that incorporates justice, mercy, and hope. I'd like for you to watch her video, her testimony, and as you do, keep two words in mind, hope matters. In February of 2012, I received a phone call from a friend telling me that there is an art program in a prison in Bali started by inmates and they need an art teacher. She asked if I would be open to go and meet them and see the program. I said yes. Little did I know how much that single yes would change my life. When I arrived at the prison, I was met at the gate by the man who started the program. His name was Mayuran Sukumaran, someone who would become a very dear friend. He was one of a group known as the Bali Nine and a death row inmate. The so-called Bali Nine were a group of young Australians aged 17 to 24 who were involved in a failed attempt to take drugs out of Indonesia to Australia. They were drug mules who were arrested when the Australian Federal Police gave information to the Indonesian police. And instead of waiting till they got on the plane to go back to Australia to arrest them, the Indonesian police arrested them. I immediately liked Myron and was at ease in his presence. He showed me around and told me about the program and how he wanted someone who really cared about the inmates, especially the women. Mayu, as he is known by his friends, became one of the best artists I have ever had the privilege of working with. And this past November, he was awarded the Artist of the Year 
by GQ Australia posthumously. He cared deeply for those in the prison and ran a tight program with high expectations. I learned a lot from knowing Mayu and becoming close to he and his family. Some of the things I learned on this journey I wish I did not have to learn. And some days I still find it hard to accept. You see, that day I walked into Karobacom Prison, I knew Mayu had a death sentence. And in the back of my mind, I always knew the possibility existed that his life would end. But it seemed unlikely, because he was a changed man, and one who had already demonstrated his reformation in so many ways, through his own life, and in the lives of those he had impacted in the prison. He was a walking model of reform and very much a gentle giant. But that day did come on April 29th, 2015. He was executed along with seven others shot in the heart. From the day he was moved to the execution island I travel to be with his family and to visit him multiple times, sharing meals with his mother, Raji, sorting out art supplies with his brother, Chinthu, so Mayu could keep painting, although I could not let the media know that or they'd shut it down, updating Mayu on how the art programs were continuing back in Bali. And on the day before the execution, I found myself serving he and his family their last communion together. There were tears, and yes, even laughter, as Mayu, who was at peace with himself, asked about the movies he would not get to see. He said he really hated that he was going to miss the new Star Wars movie with his crinkly-eyed grin. That was the last day I saw him. I watched as he took time to speak to each of his family, giving them words of advice and saying the things he wanted them to hear from him. Then he called to me, and he said he had something he wanted to say to me. He wanted to thank me for sticking with the program when no one else did, and he told me he didn't think the art program would have survived if I had not come along and to please keep it going. That was the day, the time I cried. And then on the day he was killed, I was caring for his last 15 paintings, still wet to the touch, preparing them for their final journey home to Australia, a job that I was the only one there qualified to do. Then later that night, the moment when the shots were fired, I was with his family, singing his favorite songs. Unknowingly, at the same time, he and the others were also singing. They were singing Amazing Grace and 10,000 Reasons. Mayu and Andrew, also one of the Bali Nine, were leading the singing and doing a roll call to the others to see if they were okay as they were waiting to be shot. 
It was a journey with all my heart I wish I did not have to walk. But I did walk it, and I would do it again if called on. That is what we do. We find ourselves in places we did not choose, but we know where we are right where we need to be. I have seen firsthand the impact of trauma on all those involved from the person facing death to those who knew him best, his family, the other inmates, the guards, me, the journalist tasked to cover the story, the lawyers fighting to save their lives, the shooters required by their jobs to take his and the other people's lives, and yes, all the way to the top to those who had the power to stop it. During the process of walking this journey last year, I preached on Holy Week and was over and over reminded of the similarity of the crimes of treatment Jesus himself faced and how Pilate, who had the power to save his life and did not, he too had blood on his hands. No one is left untouched even if they deny the impact. I call this the concentric circles of trauma that live on far after the life of someone who has ended, someone's life who has ended by the death penalty. During the past 20 years of ministry with CBF, I have grown in my understanding of grace and freedom and mercy. And honestly, these things are only possible through love. The work is not always easy. Sometimes it can break your heart. But it is the love that enables me to get through those hard times. And a lot of love is needed when things don't work out like you hoped and prayed for. Standing with my youth family, stunned that he had just been killed, we were left with the question, why God? But there is no answer to the why, at least not a good one. Being part of a family like CBF that does not try to explain away the struggles and injustices of life empowers me to keep going when I feel powerless. I may have stood with his family and a few friends feeling broken that horrible night but I knew we were being held in prayer by many people on the other side of the world. Many of you, in fact. And that knowing is powerful and mystical. I will continue to love when it's hard because I know that grace and freedom abound through love. The gift that CBF has been to me by allowing me to minister in freedom and grace has taken me to amazing places and has led me to face some of the most difficult situations in my life. The journey is long and hard and worth every step. My work in the prison continues. I teach and care for the other inmates who have also become dear to my heart. Some are only there for a short time, and others do not know if they will ever go free. 
Mayu's legacy is felt there, and the damage of killing a truly reformed man who gave people hope that change is possible still weighs heavy on the memories of those who now question if it made no difference in Mayu's life and he was killed anyway, why bother, they ask. Why? That's why I am there, hopefully restoring their hope for change even when the system has crushed it for them. It was my life as a practicing artist that opened the door for me to go into that prison, and that is who they know me as. They also know me as a minister and understand that the two make up who I am. But most importantly, they know I am who I say I am and that I'll authentically care for them as human beings. I am available to them in whatever way they need and without an agenda. That's the power of being the presence of Christ, being as the key to creating beloved community. And for long-term presence, it makes all the difference in the world. I continue to learn from them, and hopefully they learn from something from me as well. My hope that CBF is that CBF will continue to take the risk to be a community of grace and freedom, enabled by the power of Christ, knowing that we all can learn from each other sharing our spirit our, on our shared journey, believing that hope matters, change is possible, and if we believe we ourselves are capable of change, others are too. You know, it's easy to understand why hope would matter to someone who's on death row. But what about for you and I? Does hope matter? I think it does. I'd like to share five reasons why hope matters. I'll put these on the screen. Number one, with hope, we can continue living. Hope helps us to live. You know, yes, a death sentence loomed at large for Mayu's life, and it had been so easy from, from Mayu Myron to resign himself to an existence of just counting down the days. Hope was brought to life through art, and it became his lifeline, one that allowed him to greet each day with joy and hopefulness. You know, when life becomes dark, our first normal reaction is just to stop dead in our tracks. Hope provides that light in the tunnel of those dark situations. By keeping our eyes on the light, the light that is based upon a faith in God, we can stay positive and continue the journey of life. Number two, with hope, we can live through tough times. You know this as well as I do. Life is like a roller coaster. There's going to be ups and downs. With hope, we know that those low times, down times, will pass. We overcome our fears and doubts. We work hard. We keep going while looking forward to the good times. Sometimes it's a matter of perspective. 
You know, instead of waiting through a cold winter for the spring to arrive, we can move through winter with joy, excited that spring is just around the corner. It's a matter of perspective. Number three, with hope, we get strength and become energized. You know, a hope based upon God offers us the strength and the positive energy needed to reach favorable results. We need to put our hope in the one who has faced death and conquered it. The resurrection that occurred on Easter Sunday morning proves that with God, anything's possible. Number four, with hope, we open ourselves to new possibilities. You know, I'm thinking in Tina's story, Myron's, Myron wasn't the only one that experienced hope. Tina could have easily opted to play it safe by saying no thank you to that invitation to teach art in a prison. Instead, hopeful of sharing Christ and joy through art, Tina says, sure, I'll do it, and consequently made a tremendous difference in those prisoners' lives. Hope encourages us to look ahead and move forward without being attached to the current situation. Number five, with hope, we take action. You know, I think giving hope to the hopeless is like giving water to a person that is in the middle of a desert, can't see water anywhere. We reach a point where we're so thirsty in that desert that we just can't hardly take another step. But if we see water, if we gl get a, a glimpse of it, if it's offered to us, then we do whatever we can to get to it. And then we're able to move on. I think likewise, if we're hopeless and there's no sign of hope, we almost become paralyzed. But if we get a glimmer of hope, we do whatever we can to become hopeful and then we move on. So hope helps us to take action, overcome challenges, and jump starts that forward movement in a positive direction. You know, the world's idea of hope pales in comparison to what we find in the Bible. Biblical hope isn't based on wishful thinking, empty desire, or trivial belief. True hope, the kind that we see in the Bible, is life-changing. It's a sure hope in God because God is steadfast and sure in his love for his people and this world. This is the kind of hope that allows us to face trials and suffering. It is the hope that we long to share with others. It is the hope that we pray for our nation a hope that can overcome violence, evil, and injustice. It is the hope that drives us to pursue holiness and strive to become more and more like Christ. It's the hope that Tina Bailey shared with Myron and the prisoners in Bali. 
It's the hope of the psalmist Asaph, that justice, mercy, compassion, forgiveness, and love would be experienced by one and all. This is the hope we need. This is the hope our Lord offers. Does hope matter? Absolutely.